Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Thank God it's Friday. It's been one of those weeks. Five days crammed into four if you're working. Maybe the traffic's been a little different. You're feeling a little impatient. Well, praise the Lord, it's the weekend. Hopefully some good weather ahead of you. We are going to talk in just a little bit to a heroic mother who shared her story last year here on Trending. And she, I really do admire um, the truth that she's telling and that she's addressed today. Her name is Erin Friday. Uh, she went to, for a couple of years under the alias of Charlie Jacobs. You may recall she shared her story of how you, she rescued her daughter from a transgender fantasy that began at 12 years old. Her daughter is now 16 years old. She'll share with you about how her daughter's doing, resources, and understanding a little bit of what's happening, how young people are being influenced by this transgender ideology, what some of those influences are. It's all very important. I know people are getting tired with everything going on with so-called Pride Month, everything in the news, but it's important we are able to respond to these crises we are experiencing in the culture. There's also a question someone recently asked, recently asked me, since I, if you didn't know, was a dancer, I danced many years. I danced in high school at the Russian Ballet Company in Washington, D.C. for a summer. And a lot of people are asking, what do you think about putting your kids in dance? I'll share briefly my thoughts there. And I was watching a reel online of a pregnancy reveal gone wrong. I have to tell you about it because it brought a lot up to do with Plan B, among many other things. But what's wrong with Plan B? This is the predominant, one of the predominant types of abortions today, an early form of abortion that can function both as a contraceptive as well as an early abortion. We're going to talk a little bit about Plan B because it's something we've seen over the years in the crisis pregnancy systems that many women, we have a hard time reaching because they have already taken Plan B and often multiple times uh, in the event that they could get pregnant they take it multiple times nuking their bodies with hormones and we're going to address what plan p is uh, how it impacts a woman's body also i am curious your thoughts with chat gpt having come online the end of last year and the many resources that artificial intelligence are extending to us I am asking this question, how much should we use ChatGPT, whether it is in your workflow or what you're consuming or what you're creating? Do you see any problems with overuse? Do you see problems with it impacting the way we think? I'd love to hear from you. I have a couple thoughts on this, especially as we're even seeing AI versions of basically ghost accounts or fake accounts on social media that we're, are chatting now with the children. It's really interesting to see what's going on. So I want to talk a little bit about it. I would love to hear your encounter with ChatGPT. If you have you know, any thoughts in terms of where maybe it's gone too far, where you might find yourself as a consumer or as a creator uh, being duped or dumbified by how it's used. So you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio.
I, if you didn't catch the episode this week, we had some pretty incredible conversations with everything surrounding surrogacy uh, and the Kardashians, the latest season of the Kardashians, uh, to what we do do is we're coming into this Pride Month that seems to have been already around us for the last uh, couple weeks at least. These are some of the topics that we will be diving into, not to mention the fact that it is the month dedicated to the Sacred Heart. So as we see everything raging around us and a lot of discomfort, frustration, and overwhelm with what's happening in the world. This is the time to bolster up, get ready, dive into your faith life. What do the saints prescribe for us to do, especially when things are challenging, but in seasons of calm as well. We all have seasons that ebb and flow in our lives, times where we pay a little more attention to the news, times where we shut it off. Through all of those moments, we need to be fortifying ourselves in our prayer life. Do you have a prayer life? What does that look like? The baseline of what the saints before us have said is this morning and night prayer, making that morning devotional, the end of the day, praising and thanking the Lord for all that you've received, challenges and joys, sorrows, all of it, but also doing that nightly examination of conscience so that you're predisposed and prepared for the next day's challenges, areas where you might be at risk for sin, bad habits, mortal sin, venial sin, and taking all of that regularly in the most holy sacrament of reconciliation. And that is, I think, so important that we are preparing ourselves so that when we show up to confession, we're actually ready to go to confession. We're not sitting here for a long time, not really recalling those things that we've struggled with, those areas we have actually outright sinned. This is why that daily examination of conscience is so important. And so the saints have always recommended, go to confession at least once a month. I think it's a great thing to do if you go every two weeks. If there's something in particular that you are struggling with for accountability, for humility, and for the additional graces given by God, this is what we need. We need to fortify ourselves in the sacramental graces of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that will better predispose us to receive him in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist, where we receive him, God willing not sacrilegiously, but worthily, in a state of grace, receiving him body, blood, soul, and divinity. Praise the Lord, these graces that we need so that we can distinguish truth and falsehood in the culture. I was reading an article yesterday, and it had to do with medical care for women. And on and on, it was an article from ABC News. It was talking about how you know there really is a gray area in terms of ethics with regard to medical care. That's not true. The world likes to say everything's gray or everything's purple or green, whatever you want to call it with this neutral society. There's no such thing as constant neutrality. There's right and wrong, and there's a tactful, respectful, loving, and charitable way to go about sharing or deciding and navigating in your life what is true and false, what is black and white. And so when we are fortified in the sacraments, that is when we are most ready, when we are most equipped to face the culture and the challenges that we are experiencing. And this is why I think as we're coming into this month that's being called by some Pride Month and called by Catholics for centuries, this is the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Preserve yourself 
for Christ and in Christ. Help yourself to know and come to know and embrace your feminine or masculine identity. Help pass that on to your children. I think that that is what it's at the heart of what we are facing today. And so as we talk about these difficult issues here in trending, or you hear them in the news, or you have to encounter them in your own lives, be prepared, but peacefully and joyfully. And so I want to share with you an incredible, incredible mother is joining me now here on Trending. She's joined us before under the alias of Charlie Jacobs. Uh, it was her pen name for some time. She began a couple of years ago sharing the story about how she heroically brought her daughter from being and identifying as transgender in this transgender fantasy that started at the age of 12. Her daughter is now 16 years old and... She went by Charlie Jacobs for a time, but she knew how important this issue was and how important it is to help others. She now is sharing her public name as Erin Friday, and she is sharing her story of her daughter. Erin, let's dive in. I'd love to touch on a Sparks Notes version of what happened with your daughter beginning at age 12 and how she's doing today and then how the world, the media, and everything influenced your daughter into this transgender fantasy. Welcome back to Trending. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me back. It's uh, it's an honor, and it's an honor to come out in my real name. Thank you. Thank you for um, your courage. It's not easy yeah. today with, it, I think, the pressure people are receiving to cave uh, to a certain type of ideology. I imagine that in and of itself has been challenging for your family. Uh, it has been, but when you're following your moral compass, uh, you should stand tall and you should stand in your real name. So I am, I am, I am pleased to do that. Um, but so you asked you asked a couple of questions about my my daughter, um, and I'll just briefly uh, go through what happened to her. She was um, indoctrinated starting at her public school that she could be born in the wrong body, and this was uh, repeated and repeated to her through various um, classes, um, and then you know, as she went through puberty, which is a trying time in every child's mm-hmm. life, puberty is not comfortable. Uh, and as she was going through puberty, she um, didn't like the bodily changes happening to her body. And um, like so many girls. Yeah, it's not, it's normal. And they're trying on identities. And when teachers, the second most important person in the child's life is telling them that their discomfort could be because they are born in the wrong body. A child's going to take that and, and believe it. So my daughter thought, you know, she went through a myriad of, of identities because she was given a sheet of like 30 different identities, nonsensical identities, identities that were not age appropriate, um, such as, you know, pansexual and, um, polyamorous and and she was 11 and 12 when she was being taught this nonsense and as she went through you know the pandemic and being very lonely and spending a lot of time online um she discovered transgenderism um well she already knew it from school but it it became uh something that she decided that she was after trying on these other identities um, and the social media component component is uh, it can't be underestimated about you know how important it is for parents to understand that their kids are being indoctrinated you know right in their own bedroom with that device that they carry around in their um, 
in their pockets and in their purses. Um, these kids are inundated with messaging that if they are at all uncomfortable with what's going on with their bodies or confused about growing up, that they could be transgender. Isn't that such a frightening thing? I mean, who hasn't? Even adults felt uncomfortable at times in their own bodies. Does that mean we should be something other than who we are and who God designed us to? Just even think being postpartum and having a baby, you know, you gain weight, you're trying to find this new comfort in your body. That doesn't suddenly mean that we should identify other than something than what we are or abandon our motherhood. I mean, it's such an existential crisis that this education system is encouraging. And for vulnerable young children, such as a 12-year-old daughter like yourself, your daughter. Yeah, it's quite insane to me because they act as if, you know, they're the loving group and we're the hate group. And, and all we're saying is, is love and accept your body as it is, as imperfect as, it, as you think it is. I mean, we are our toughest critics on our mm-hmm. own bodies and um, each body is amazing. It, I mean, it's, it's, it is. It's just an amazing uh, piece of machinery, if we can even describe it like that. And there's nothing wrong with it and to tell a child that not only, you know, you can tell a child like, oh, your nose is big. What they're doing is they're telling a child that their entire body is wrong. What a horrible thing um, to tell a child. Mm, Yes. So let's walk through this a little bit. I know your daughter is doing much better now. Where is she at in her journey? Well, she is very comfortable in her female body, um, which I'm very pleased about. Um, She dresses now like her typical self, and um, she no longer hides in big sweatshirts or wears binders. Um, she no longer identifies as being transgender. She identifies as being a girl because she is. Uh, but she's only 16, and we are in California, and I'm not sure she's in the mindset yet of understanding that the transgenderism is, is very cultish and that she was used in a ideology and that she is really lucky that she's out of it. I don't think she's there yet in understanding um, the evil forces that went after her. Mm. Um, And and even that there's no such thing as, as trans people. There just isn't. There are people Mm. who are gender dysphoric, but there is not a human that is born in the wrong body. A sperm and an egg come together and they make one unit. That one unit is perfect. Just perfect. Amen. And so let's talk about a little bit about the influence. Because I'm so happy to hear how well your daughter is doing now, but still, you know, facing this cult-like challenge. Uh, what what does she think of the transgender ideology now? That's a challenge. It's an ongoing process. And I just keep thinking, you know, you heroically helped to save her your daughter from this fantasy, but you were doing your job as a mom. And I think that's the challenge is that it's such difficult work today in these instances such as these. So you are a resource for so many parents Let's talk about some of the influences that were impacting your daughter. The public school system encouraged and ushered her to explore her identity, giving her a sheet of 30 identities. I know you transferred her to Catholic school and they were hiding and going behind your back as well. Again, we got to be careful with what schools we send our kids to and really holding teachers accountable. But you've also talked about the impact of pornography that social media and pornography and anime and other things had on your daughter as young as 12 years old. Can you share a little bit more about that side of the story? 
Yes. So there's there's a really a direct correlation between anime, which is a Japanese cartoon, um, and it looks like it is harmless, and it starts out that way, but it's not. It gets very deep into uh, fetish and dark behavior, highly sexualized um, behavior, and it's you know, and and she got into anime, which you know, (laughs) me being naive, I thought was kind of kind of cute. Um, she it looks got like a cartoon, selling. right? It's like a cartoon, um, but it, it it but kids who start watching anime also get into the group of anime kids, and then they go on to Discord and they have these chats, and it could be a thirteen year old with a seventeen year old that is then introducing them to hentai, which is a form of an- anime that is pornography, so it's cartoon pornography. Wow, uh, and. And it goes to, and so cartoon pornography uh, can skirt some of the obscenity laws, and um, they have pedophilic, uh, you know, cartoons. So they have an uncle with a little child, um, and it's very gender bending. And again, it gets it, it gets through the obscenity laws, or can get through the obscenity laws because it's a cartoon. And these kids are exposed to it um, and they can't, their brains are not able to comprehend uh, what is happening and it gets pushed, pushed out to them. So if a girl puts on her Instagram account, male to female, MTF, or a boy puts FTM on any of his social media, that is a beacon. It is a siren for pedophiles and, um, deviant people to find these kids and they push pornography on these kids. Wow. So just to reiterate for any parents who may need to know, it's important to understand that MTF or FTM, it's a sign for transgenderism, but it's a sign for pedophilia as well as a beacon. I appreciate that you're saying this because I think a lot of parents don't know and they think, oh, my kid's struggling with a transgender identity. This is just a, a phase, perhaps, or, you know, maybe they're going along with it, but they don't realize the pedophiliac dimension of what is occurring in the transgender movement. It's massive. I mean, it is, it is absolutely massive. And, and I run parent groups and I uh, co-lead our duty. And the vast majority of the parents who have a trans identified kid, um, they, they will find the porn on their kid's social media. They think that it doesn't exist. I just was talking to a mom this afternoon and she's like, I don't think my daughter's looking at him. Like, Oh, go home and get her phone and, and start searching. I mean, YouTube, YouTube has um, pornography that is read aloud mm. to the kids. And in it, the and YouTube I, kids friendly area, is that correct? Yeah, I mean that has that has so-called sexual, friendly. Yeah, so-called. I mean there are there look, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars to try to get uh, you know a, a phone that would block this. I tried to buy software that would block this garbage from coming in through the iPad, through, uh, through the internet anyway. And I failed. I mean, I failed miserably. It's like a game of whack-a-mole to keep your child safe. The only thing that worked was me taking her phone and taking uh, her school iPad. And, and people should be very careful about the school iPads. Mm-hmm. Uh, schools are tracking kids through that iPad. 
And, and they may tell you that they have safeguards on there, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Over 60% of kids have seen porn for the first time on their school iPad. That's a huge number. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's startling. And they do it. Ac- Go ahead. Yeah. And they do it accidentally. They're searching mm-hmm. for something else. Yeah. Yep. yep. Or curiosity, right? And I mean, we were just talking yesterday here on the show about, you're talking, or two days ago, about, you know, how you talk to your kids about, about sex and body parts and all of that early on so that they're comfortable. It's an ongoing conversation. So as things come up, they're not going and Googling it. They're asking you. It's been an open dialogue. You're answering their questions in an age appropriate way. And often it's simple answers that satisfy the simple curiosity at a certain age. It, this is why it's so important because they either stumble upon the pornography or look it up. And next thing you know, uh, they were just kind of asking an innocent question of Google. And lo and behold, this is where they are at. I was just covering a couple of weeks ago here on Trending how a mother of a 15-year-old went before the school board and was being silenced because her daughter was asked to not only write about pornographic content that was very explicit, but to memorize it and to recite it in front of other people. And how awful this is where these young women are being so objectified with such obscene content and it's horrifying as an adult to even talk about this or look at this content yet if we don't talk about it Aaron who else will because children like your own daughter at 12 years old was influenced by it so I'd be curious by the way if you're just joining us you're listening to trending with Timory here on relevant radio Aaron Friday is the mother of her daughter who at 12 years old uh, started to enter into this transgender fantasy and she saved her daughter from this crisis she's now 16 years old Erin let's talk a little bit about what your perspective is for all parents in terms of guidelines uh, for moving through the whole idea of smartphones and social media today well if I had to do it over again I never would have given my daughter a phone and I wouldn't have sent her to public school and I would not have let her use any uh, provided device by a school at all. I would have it, you know, had bought it myself. Um, and what parents really need to understand is there's no need for your kids to have a smartphone, zero need. Um, they, there are phones, flip phones and, and, uh, other devices Dad phones, another great resource. Yeah, there's there there are things out there. There's also there's um, the switch, which is a video game that doesn't go out into the internet because these internet uh, connected games uh, are open season on your kid. Mm-hmm. So even if you think Pinterest, Pinterest, you know, it's a designer uh, website, but kids use Pinterest to. Um, talk with other adults is a very frightening out there. And if you think your kid's not outsmarting you, you're naive. So you need to know every password uh, to your child's device and you need to be checking it. And it's grueling when you but talked they, about the dip yeah go ahead they also know how to delete things though and i think that's important like they really know how to delete content so i feel like even when you're checking things now i love screenstrong.com because they talk about delay 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 in terms of giving your kids smartphone social media and helping to guide them uh, through a season in life where their prefrontal cortex really isn't fully developed and parents can be that primary protector and educator. If you can stay with us for just a moment, Erin, I want to come back and talk about some resources for parents in navigating this challenge.
challenge of this transgender influence and fantasy that many children are experiencing. That's Erin Friday. She's a heroic mom who rescued her daughter from a transgender identity in this fantasy. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We'll be right back in just a moment. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back. I'm talking to Erin Friday. She shared her story last year here on Trending under the alias of Charlie Jacob. She's a heroic mom who's come out after having rescued her daughter from a transgender fantasy public school system failed her. She even had challenges in the Catholic school system uh, with regard to how the gender issue was handled. The bottom line is, as Catholics, we believe what we are taught. It's part of our marital responsibility that we are oriented when we get married toward having children and educating our children. And that means being mama bears at times and being very, very, very aggressive when it comes to protecting children. Uh, We have talked today about the impact of porn, anime, social media, the fact that YouTube for so-called children has uh, pornography that's read out loud to children. I mean, it's so bad. And pornography is a leading influencer of transgender gender dysphoric experiences. With the sudden gender dysphoric onset, this is why it's happening and happening so rapidly. And for even young children, such as 12-year-olds, such as Aaron's daughter. Aaron, let's talk about resources to help protect kids and help parents who are struggling through this. What do you recommend? Uh, well, for those parents with kids that are already struggling uh, with gender identity, um, I would actually ask you to go ahead and look at um, the Daily Signal that interviewed me uh, back in January, and I talk about the things that I did to get my child out, and I'm not the only parent who used uh, those same techniques, which is really to... Um, bring your child back into, you know, the family love and make sure that, um, that you are really cutting off that internet. That's first and foremost, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me that you can't do it. You have to do that. If you want to get your child out of this, it's more difficult when the child is over 18 for sure. Uh, but there's a lot of books now that are out there that are designed to help parents find the language that they need to um, address the issue with their kids. Um, you know, hitting your child with a bunch of medical stats is not going to do it. Um, you have to really look at your child being in a cult and how would you get your child out of a cult? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book by, uh, Maria Keffler, K-E-F-F-L-E-R, which is, I always get the, the name mixed up. It's detox, detrans, desist or in some kind of order mm-hmm. it's we'll available post link on, on social media yeah we'll grab that and put it in the episode notes yeah um and then i'm sorry what what did you just say 
I said, we'll put a link to that in that episode yeah. so people can pick up that book by Maria Keffler on helping to detox from a transgender identity. I know some resources too, I'll throw out there, screenstrong.com for helping strengthen um, the perspective on how to handle, you know, taking away phones, shutting down social media. I know you also work with your, uh, one of your th- projects that you found is dtransawareness.org as well as a great resource. What else do you recommend? Um, well, I'm a co-lead of Our Duty, which has a lot of one-page fact sheets that can help um, educate uh, parents on, you know, what is happening with their child and, and how to make the arguments and how to talk to doctors about it and teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some really, there's a great movie that is being premiered on June 21st. Um, I think the name has changed. It's First Do No Harm. And this is a movie about detransitioners and families and how we got here. And I would take my teenagers, whether your teenager is caught in this uh, gender vortex or not, I would take them um, to watch this film. And I would encourage everyone to watch this film. Um, it's, it's quite impactful. Excellent. We'll post a link to that movie as well so you can get more information about this movie that's coming out because we need to hear these stories. We need to hear the information. And we did an interview with you last year talking about how you detransitioned your daughter. We'll post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes. You were going at the time as Charlie Jacobs, so be sure to watch out for that link because I'm hearing from parents all the time, nearly weekly, saying, what do I do? My child, like yours, Aaron, suddenly is identifying as transgender and they need that playbook. And so these are some fantastic resources to help out. We have Elizabeth on the line from Escondido, California. Elizabeth, welcome to Trending. What's your question today? Hi, welcome. Thank you. Um, Well, I think my question was just addressed, but you could maybe just shed a little light on reaching the parents now that we've talked about the resources. Um, Reaching the parents, because I find that I'm a teacher, by the way, um, and I reached out today to call because I'm on the front lines. I'm involved in a major legal battle um, as a teacher and um, fighting a policy that is hiding information from parents. I find most parents just don't know. Right. So with the resources, you know, how do you peek and, and, and reach them? Great question. Uh, to, to reach yeah, and I and I know who you are, and thank you. Did you did you are you one of the teachers that filed the lawsuit? I am right, oh, and I, I thank love you, you, Elizabeth. Thank you. <laughs> um, that's fantastic. Yeah, parents don't know, and and we actually need to educate parents before they get hit hit with the um, you know transgender pie in the face uh, because they do, they are unaware that their children are going by different names at school. They are unaware of what the sex ed curriculum is, we trusted our schools. I was one of them. I trusted my school to educate my child appropriately. I had no idea that third parties were coming in and teaching unscientific garbage to my child. So parents are not in the know. They don't know that their kindergarten child is being read transgender books, you know, in those uh, circle time open reading. Um, So yes, we have to do a better job of educating parents and it's very difficult here in California because the mainstream media they will not platform us they will not platform me I'm a Democrat 
they don't put my name in anything because because I am a Democrat and because I don't fit the narrative. They want to bury us. Uh, mm-hmm. They won't. They won't cover us. So I appreciate uh, when any um, publication or radio show has me on because we need to just keep talking about it because parents will be blindsided. Mm-hmm. Amen. And Elizabeth, thank you for speaking up. And Escondido, California, thank you for fighting as they are trying to force you as parents to hide information from parents, uh, as they're trying to teach you, have you as a teacher, uh, teach these horrifically scandalous things to children. I I am so grateful for teachers such as yourself who are fighting. I know some teachers are leaving the public school system. We need that too, but we also need teachers like yourself uh, to fight what is happening. And so thank you and thank you to all the other teachers who are fighting. I know the calls are just coming in from parents across the country uh, who are really struggling with this, especially teachers. We have another teacher on the line um, calling from, I believe, the Bay Area. Welcome to Trending. What's your question today for Aaron? Karen, welcome to Trending. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm a middle school teacher and I'm playing whack-a-mole too. Um, I just had a kid come up to me today, thank goodness for his honesty, where he told me that he was able to turn off Go Guardian on his Chromebook that's issued by the school. So I reported that to our IT folks and they're like, did he tell you how he did it? It's like, well, he said he found a video on YouTube. And so it's like you're saying it's playing whack-a-mole and these kids are actively looking for things to help them code to bypass any of the security systems. So I totally agree with you about cutting off the Internet entirely. Um, It's just so dangerous. And, um, you know, what, what else can we do as teachers? I mean, shouldn't our IT folks be running GoGuardian and other things constantly (laughs) you know that's I mean what can we do as uh, teachers is there any grassroots movement to really legislate stuff so that school districts are required to put in certain things because I don't think they are Mm, great question Aaron any thoughts on this well Karen, there's a couple things that you can do as a teacher, and, and thank you for being being one of the good teachers. Try teaching without that iPad. You know, put that put that away. Take take those devices in the beginning of class and put them aside. So that's what you can do as as a teacher. Is you don't have you don't need to teach with that. We I'm educated, and I didn't have an iPad, and we didn't have the internet when I was going through school. And I'm a lawyer, so um, it, it can actually happen. Um, the, the other thing is I don't trust the schools in, in putting the right uh, guardrails up anyway. They, they, are, they, are, they are using the iPads to actually track our kids, especially here in California. Um, that's even codified. They're allowed to do that. That, to me, is insane. Um, you need to, as a teacher, like reiterate like how amazing it is that, that there is biological fact. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to speak truth in your classroom. And I would reiterate that over and over. And I would talk to them about what there's, what they may encounter on the internet and that this is acting and that this is not what a loving relationship is, is like. Like you have to be the safeguard for these kids and let parents know, 
let the parents know of your students, hey, these kids can access this mm-hmm. stuff on, on the iPads. Mm-hmm. Be an advocate for parents, right? Like help parents through this. Some some parents just don't know. And Karen, thank you for speaking up. Thank you for fighting for kids. And I love, you know, what you said, Aaron, about hey, you don't have to use iPad for your homework or in your classroom. And what's interesting is that these these young people are starving for human connection, face-to-face, tangible, physical, quality time, for physical touch, for eye contact. They may not receive it anywhere else other than your, in your classroom, potentially. And so at first, maybe there's a backlash to having the iPads pulled in or whatever it might be, but it may be refreshing in time and something they look forward to strictly for that relief from the anxiety that we know technology is bringing young people from the equipment to the websites and the apps that are being used. And so I think that this perspective is so important that we're willing to pull back. And yes, in certain instances, give an assignment with one type of use of maybe a PowerPoint or whatever it might be that you're educating a child on and how to type. These are great things, but it doesn't have to be 24-7 when it comes to education. Thank you so much, Erin, and for all of the teachers and parents who are fighting this transgender ideology. Erin, I know some of the resources we mentioned that you're involved in include dtransawareness.org as well as ourdutygroup.com. That's O-U-R duty group. Sorry, OurDuty.group, that's O-U-R-Duty.group, that really helps parents in recognizing there's no need for the so-called sex change as a solution to the crisis that is occurring today. Thanks for speaking up. Prayers for your daughter. Everyone, I'm begging you, if you're with me, pray for Erin Friday and her daughter and their family because it's not easy in reclaiming your sexual identity, getting to know your body, being comfortable in your body when the world tells you otherwise, especially as a girl, and especially when there's this transgender fantasy today. So please pray for Erin and for her daughter for healing and peace moving forward. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I'll be right back. I'll answer your questions. I'll also talk about a pregnancy announcement that went terribly wrong. I'll actually share with you a little bit about Plan B, what's wrong with it, and how much should we use ChatGPT. I'll be right back here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to Trending. I want to take a quick question here that came in. Um, We've been talking a little bit about it lately, uh, but not specifically. So if you don't know my background, I grew up my whole life dancing From the age of three, I even in high school trained with the Russian Ballet Company in Washington, D.C. in the summers. I auditioned and was accepted to numerous ballet company programs across the nation. I love dance to this day. But I'm hearing this question. I'm asking the same question. I have a two-year-old daughter. And the question is this. Can kids participate in the dance and arts with the over-sexualization, objectification, and just negative influence we're seeing in the culture today? And my answer is this. Perhaps with caution. And this is the caution I would throw out there. And this would be the other side of it. You have to be willing to cut it off and walk away. So first of all, let's just talk studio teachers you need to know the studio you need to know the owner you need to know the teachers and there needs to be this small personal feel where you are comfortable and on the same page with the teachers who who are teaching your kids dance that they are on the same page with you that they're teaching your children the discipline of dance the art or whatever it might be in a positive way that is healthy for your child and age appropriate not scandalizing 
And I also am not a fan of competition dance. I think that it's extremely objectifying for the child at a very inappropriate age. And competition dance is overtly sexualized. Uh, So there's a difference between a showcase versus a competition style of dance. That is performance approach of showcasing talent rather than the competition award mindset. I grew up in a showcase type of environment where we never competed. I only ever competed once, and I won't even get into that. Um, But with all my years of dance, we performed. It was an art. It was a presentation. The performance was a gift to family, friends, and the audience who came. And it required hard work and discipline to give that presentation. And so this is part of the reason why today I really do believe in many ways that the type of dance, if you're going to do so, really has to be more of a classical approach in terms of ballet, maybe jazz and tap. But again, it depends on whether or not you're on the same page with studio, studio owner, and teachers in terms of what type of content is being used in the classroom. And you have to stay on top of it. You have to monitor. I think another perspective that's really important, and I think it's one of just the extracurricular culture in general. Grant, I could have danced professionally after high school. That was actually my intention. I had an incredible gift dancing. There's always just a little bit of like regret and desire that I still did dance professionally, but I also know this is exactly where God wants me to be. And there's that hope and their trust and faith in that. Uh, But what I will say is that I think we live in a culture today where sports, music, uh, arts, and ballet, these extracurricular activities are put on such a pedestal that it's not a hobby. It's not treated at as something that's a discipline, but it's treated as if this is your future rather than it being take the pressure off your kid and allow them to enjoy and be talented at what they're doing and learn great things, learn the political side of life that occurs. I remember learning this and auditioning for dance parts for Nutcracker, among other things. So again, make it a hobby, not a future. And you have to be willing that means to cut the cord if necessary with a particular studio, a particular type of dance, or maybe if something's just not really panning out well for your child. I saw specifically the dance world change in the mid to late 2000s as I was coming out of high school and into college. The dancing world was transitioning, and I think this is why we have to be very cautious today. When I was dancing, there was a difference between sassy versus sexy. We were encouraged, yeah, be sassy, have that attitude. These are great things. There were even things um, in terms of like the way you angled your body uh, when you were dancing and the different positions you held. And there was this attitude of no crotch shots. Like be careful how you present your body to the audience when you're on stage. Uh, Costumes have even changed over time with due concern, I think, of addressing again, are you on the same page with the studio owner, the teachers? Will they instill that same mindset? together. I think that's a really important perspective. I personally, in part, chose to go to college sooner because I started to feel uncomfortable with what I was seeing in the dance world, and I didn't know if I would have the strength to endure these opportunities I had in dance. And I chose to go to a small Catholic university in San Diego and to really preserve my life in Christ because of that. And I remember at the time thinking of the words of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 8, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but forfeit his own soul? And that always stood out. And even to this day, I think these words should be so powerful for us. What do we profit if we gain everything in the world, but we lose ourselves? And I can even say when I was first uh, reached out to by Father Rocky about doing this daily radio program, 
I prayed, and this is so important for all of us to do this. Lord, I would love to serve you in this way, but if in any way this would be damaging for me, if it would uh, make me prideful, if it would be hurtful, please don't let me do it. May I remain humble. Don't allow this opportunity to work out. Do not allow this to be a way in which I can serve you if it's going to be to the detriment of my soul. And I think that that's a perspective we should take in everything we do, whether it's dancing, sports, a job, an activity, a relationship, a friendship. Are we growing and becoming better human beings who are glorifying God in our actions, or are we forfeiting our souls for the gain of the world? I think that's key that we take that mindset in everything we do. And that will help us again, like I was discussing at the beginning of the hour, of how we need to be spiritually strong, what we need to do with morning and night prayer, what have the saints encouraged? Well, all of it comes back to seeing the world in black and white and seeing the good, true, and beautiful that Jesus Christ himself came to save us from our fallen human nature, to open the gates of heaven, to liberate us, and by the grace of Jesus Christ, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we might be united and one with the Father again. That's the goal in life. And everything else doesn't matter. We always have to have an eternal perspective. And so again, bringing it back to this dance conversation or something else, that's the way we need to look at things. Okay, there was this pregnancy announcement uh, that was a reel on social media that my mom actually sent me this week. And it was, you have to listen to this. I think we've got the audio. I want to play this reel for you because I was looking up this account and I think that it was actually like a, a prank. So this girlfriend and boyfriend have the social media account and they post a ton of content on social media and they are constantly playing pranks on one another and so this was a prank that was pulled during covid uh, when the girlfriend they thought had covid uh, but actually lo and behold she's getting ready to give a pregnancy announcement lo and behold that's what's really happening and so she's sitting here you got to listen i wish you could see it too i'll have to post on social media a little later i'll post in the episode notes as well but lo and behold she's there to give her pregnancy announcement and here's her young boyfriend looking at what she has to show listen up you had covid you had to come over and risk not my, my not my now? life but my mom are you serious read the test yeah it's positive yeah read it <laughs> what <laughs> what can you say something can you still take plan b what? No. Is it a, I only want a boy? <laughs> I don't know. No, it's too late. Wow, did, did you catch that? So here she is trying to show that she has a positive pregnancy test. He thinks it's a positive COVID test. He's lecturing her to just look at the test. He looks at it and realizes, lo and behold, it's a pregnancy test. His response, he jumps up, walking around baffled, and then he says, can you, can you take plan B? We all know what plan B is, right? Morning after pill. And then he says, she says, no, I can't, it's too late. He says, but I only want a boy. Then he says, but can't you take plan B first to C? Okay, I was infuriated when I watched this. I really at first wished I didn't watch it. Now, Grant, I think that this was a joke because this is a satire social media account and this couple loves to play pranks on each other. However, abortion is never a joke. And this did highlight the fact, and I've seen this 
on the front line that for years now, the crisis pregnancy centers, pregnancy resource centers are having a difficult time reaching women who are abortion minded because many young women, as soon as they engage in intimacy, especially with someone that they're not married to, they take plan B the next morning and right away and often multiple times for repeated days in a row to try and prevent and make sure that they do not get pregnant. These young women have no clue that Plan B is an absolute chemical bomb on their bodies. They're nuking their bodies full of endocrine disruptors and synthetic hormones that are known even by the World Health Organization, by the United Nations, by countless medical journals that the endocrine disruptors and the hormones in Plan B, which is basically a really, really strong version of birth control, that these specific chemicals are group one carcinogens. What does a group one carcinogen mean? Just to be really clear here for just a moment, that means it has the highest cancer risk. Just an example, and by the way, we've known this for years, over 20 years, far longer than that, that that's how harmful these synthetic hormones are. Just to mention, for example, Plan B, leads to a 44, up to a 44% increased risk of breast cancer. If you have any type of genetic mutation or risk of breast cancer already, it's basically a sentence to have cancer. That's how bad hormonal contraception is, among other things. And you're nuking your body with it even more so with Plan B, and it's taken by girls repeatedly, not just once. And Plan B, we have to be clear, functions in multiple ways. It can, in one way, prevent sperm and egg from every meeting, therefore, as a contraceptive, never beginning new life. But it can also work in two different ways to cause an abortion. And I could get into all of the details, but it's important. Whether it's an early abortion or a late abortion, the fact of the matter is it's killing a human life in the earliest stages of that baby's life. And it's harmful for women, not just being a carcinogenic on the highest list of risk factors for cancer, but it can lead to ectopic tubal pregnancy. In fact, there was a study done over 20 years ago in the UK before Plan B was taken as often as it is today. And the study showed that six out of 100 women who use Plan B ended up with ectopic tubal pregnancies that are life-threatening for both baby and mom, if not treated properly. Not to mention pelvic inflammatory disease, endometriosis, and polycystic ovarian syndrome disease are also some of the risks involved when it comes to taking Plan B. So when people might be joking about Plan B and making these pregnancy announcements, the reality is the culture's first mindset when there's a risk of pregnancy is contraception, abortion, Plan B, the morning after pill. We need to give the information and the facts that, ladies and gentlemen, abortion is bad for women's bodies. Women deserve better. We need to preserve our future fertility. We need to take care of our mental and emotional health now. And hormonal contraception and abortion damage and destroy women's mental health. In fact, if you take hormonal contraceptives, if you take Plan B in high school before the age of 25 and you take it repeatedly, it permanently damages your psychological development, leading you to lifelong depression and anxiety. A JAMA study came out about five years ago showing this. We need to tell the truth and help people to stay off the pill and away from Plan B and therefore to help save babies and protect babies and save it for, for marriage. That is also the best thing, too. And when you don't have Plan B, along with abortion contraception, that's what people have to do. Praise the Lord. We'll be right back here coming up on Monday on Trending Up Next as a Family Rosary Across America.
Have you joined us yet for our weekly happy hour on trending? This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Mondays, we discuss everything from happiness, although it's fleeting, to joy, which is rooted in God. We address midlife crises, prayer, friendship, job satisfaction, and you name it, because who doesn't want to have lasting happiness, joy rooted in God? Join me daily at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.